We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back, Notre Dame fans, Irish Breakdown family. We are back to talk, finally talk, Notre Dame and USC. That's Ryan Roberts. I'm Brian Driscoll. Ryan, it's it's the big one, man. The game is here, Notre Dame versus USC. I'm fired up, man. I'm fired up. I, I think that there were three pillars this year, Brian. It was one, Ohio State, two, Clemson, and then more in the middle of the season, and then USC, right? Those were the three games. And Notre Dame fans want to see. We want to see how they stack up against the perceived big boys. And USC has even outperformed a little bit of what I think we thought they would be at this point in the in the year with only one loss. So this is another massive test going out to Southern California. It's going to be a big-time opportunity for Notre Dame, who's been trading in the right direction over the last few games, obviously, to end the regular season on a high note and get the best bowl opportunity they possibly can. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think for me, Ryan, it it really comes down to this is such an, an interesting game of polar opposites. In so many ways. And I mean, both teams are talented. Both teams are athletic. But the type of teams they are, Notre Dame, pound it out, play great defense, play great special teams. USC, 
fast, up tempo. You know, get the ball out. You know, uh, use get your athletes in space, and it's offense, offense, offense. And there's East Coast or Midwest against West Coast, right? You know, blue collar against Hollywood. There are just so many intriguing matchups to this. And honestly, you could say that almost every year. And that's what makes this such a fun matchup is because like Ohio State and Michigan, it's like it's border rivals. It's they're very similar programs for a long time. And, you know, this is what makes this, you know, such a special rivalry to me is the fact that it is so different. You don't have another rivalry in sports like this where it's just two teams from completely different time zones, completely different parts of the country, completely different styles, and yet they have one thing in common, and that's a history and tradition of excellence. Yep. And and that's what I think makes this such a special rivalry. And I'll be honest, as before we kind of get into the specifics, I prefer that the games be like this. Mm-hmm. One team's really good, the other team's really good, and you know, you go out and, and you went like the last few years, Notre Dame's beat USC, and it's like, eh. You know, they kind of slept, walked through a couple of those games. USC wasn't that good. It was a lot like the 2000s, you know, when when Pete Carroll came in and it was like, you know, you never really got, other than the one year with Brady Quinn in 06, and that didn't turn out very well. You never really felt like this is the year we take down USC. It never felt like that. Yeah. And, you know, and then it was a little bit, it was more competitive from like 2010 for a few years. Like Notre Dame won in 10, USC won 11, Notre Dame won in 12. Really close game and, 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 um, in 13, 14, USC smacks them. 15, Notre Dame gets payback. 16, USC beats them. 17, Notre Dame pounds them. And ever since then, it just hasn't been a real competitive series. Uh, and so I think this is good for this series. It's good for the rivalry. And it's good for college football because it is such a unique rivalry. And because we haven't had many instances where both teams are good. For a long time, USC really was really good. Notre Dame wasn't. And then yeah. for a number of years in the last decade, Notre Dame's been really good and USC hasn't been. I, I think this is good for the game when both of these teams are good and this rivalry means something again. Not not just means something like between the two fan bases, mm-hmm. but means something big picture. Like USC has a chance to play for national championship this year. What's standing in between them right now? Notre Dame. And how many yep. times has this story been told where it was either USC's playing for a title and Notre Dame stands between them or vice versa? Notre Dame's got a shot to go play for a title and USC stands between them. The last two times that Notre Dame went to the college, or the, the, the let me see here, the, the two of the last three times that Notre Dame had a chance to go play for a championship, 2012 and 2018, they could not get there unless they had to go to Los Angeles and win, and they did both times. Now, 2020 was the exception because they didn't play. Right. But in 2012 and 2018, that's been the case. Now the tide has turned a little bit. Now it's USC with a chance to get there out in L.A., and, and they've got to get through Notre Dame. And I just think this make this puts so much more on this matchup that makes it such a more entertaining matchup to prepare for. And hopefully it's an entertaining game when we get there on Saturday. Well, I think you hit on two very key points for me. One is I dislike USC. Be very honest. Yeah, I'll be very <laughs> be very honest about it, right? Michigan and USC are the two teams that I just do not like much. But USC is one of those teams, and we've talked about this a ton in the past. When USC is a good program and they are successful college football is better. It just is. That's one of the historic programs. And I want USC to be good. I want Notre Dame to be better, but I still want them to be a very good football team, obviously. Right. So the fact that they've gotten back to where they are now after going four and eight last year, it's a great first step for Lincoln Riley. It's a really nice first year, initial season to get, hopefully get the 
program back to what it should be, what it has been in, you know, the Pete Carroll era at the end of there. And, you know, obviously working further back than that, USC has been a prominent program throughout the history other than the last few years of Clay Helton, right? So seeing them take that step has been very important. And Brian, I mean, I, we, we we do our pickums every week and I sent you mine in this morning and I think I literally use that same exact turn. I'm like, this is the polar opposite of teams, man. And you just said it yourself. How Notre Dame wants to win is so much different than how what USC wants to win. They are about as far apart as you can get from a fan base perspective, from a location perspective, from a time zone perspective, from a general play style perspective. They are polar opposites, which adds into the fascination because people are going to turn on Notre Dame, USC, two big brands, rivalry, all that good stuff. You add in the fact that they are completely different football teams that want to win in a completely different fashion. I think that really adds into the lore, the fanfare. And obviously, you know that every fan, Notre Dame, national alike, will be tuned in on Saturday night to see what, what should be a great game, hopefully. Right. It, it is funny how different generations view USC. Like the, the the generation in front of me has a very deep dislike of USC. The generation that came after me, your generation, has a deep dislike of USC. And I think a lot of it is, is what was the rivalry like when you were young? For you, as someone who was born in, was like 91, mm-hmm. right? 91. So you, yep. you, Notre Dame didn't really dominate that series. You know, for yeah. your really young life, like really young, it was back and forth. But once you kind of got old enough to really follow Notre Dame, it was dominant by dominated by USC. Yep. For me, I, I started watching in 1988. I watched almost a decade go by before USC won a game in this rivalry. You know, and it's just like so. It was it was Michigan and Penn State that were were able to knock off Notre Dame at times. It was Miami that that was the rivalry that I hated growing up. Well, by the time you were following Notre Dame, by the time you were born, the Notre Dame Miami rivalry was over. You know, I mean, it ended in 1990. Yep. So it is always funny and fascinating. Like, I don't have the hate for USC. Now, I, I'm not saying I may not develop it, and and, and I've started to over the last year yeah. because I despise what USC has done. And the transfer thing doesn't – it bothers me, but it's more so the, the Big Ten jump. Like, mm-hmm. that really sickened me, to be honest with you, because it's like, you know, you have no loyalty to anything, no sense of honor no sense of tradition. It's about money. And I have no sympathy for that at all. So I'm starting to hate USC, but it's not because of the football rivalry. So it's always find well, that fascinating. It's funny. I mean, well, the good thing is, is now that they're in the big 10, I can hate them in Michigan in the same conference now, which would be great to, to figure out. But I mean, you're right, Brian. I mean, my oldest memories of USC, as far as when I was a, a kid was the, middle to end of the Carson Palmer years, right? That led right into the Matt Liner, Reggie Bush era, which was obviously they were fantastic. And I mean the the last game they ever played against Vince Young in the in the uh in the Rose Bowl, that was one of the greatest games I've ever seen just in general. Right. So my my younger childhood was filled with USC being a very successful team, to your point, right? And it it's been filled also with Notre Dame not being a very successful team. I mean, for the longest time, I clinged on to the Brady Quinn years, the last two, right? Because it's like, wow, Notre Dame won nine games. It's so incredible. <laughs> it's it's just, it's so funny now to look back and now you're just like, 
times have definitely changed from the tail end of the, uh, you know, Bob Davey to Tyra Willingham to the end of the Charlie Weiss era. But it is, it's been fascinating to see to your points. Regardless, though, these are two of the best programs in college football, two historic programs, two programs that still have a lot to fight for, right? You mentioned USC has more to play for with their playoff hopes, but Notre Dame still has bold dreams, right? And ending the season outright and get, get now transitioning to 2023 with a hot, with a lot of high expectations, right? So there is a lot to play for and you'd be lying to yourself if Notre Dame fans and Notre Dame team alike wouldn't like to ruin some of the USC playoff dreams this year. They would love to be the ruiner of that conversation. No doubt. No doubt. So, Ryan, I think there's nothing more contrasting about this rivalry. I mean, there's nothing that shows how contrasting this rivalry is or this matchup is than to dive in the numbers. And I think that's what we're going to – I think that's what we're going to do next. We're going to dive into the sort of the on-paper matchup and just the different aspects of this game. But just a reminder to people, we're going to have two shows today. We're going to have this show, obviously, at 2. And then our next show is not going to be till 8 p.m. tonight because we've got some family obligations that we have to take care of. So we'll be going live tonight at 8 o'clock for our Keys to Victory article. And remember, we are off tomorrow because it is Thanksgiving, and we want all of you to have a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. We will have some recorded shows up. Uh, we'll cut these videos up and things like that. And you know, and I may, I may do something a little special tonight to kind of put out tomorrow morning. We'll see about that. But uh, – that's kind of just to let people know that's what our plan is for the rest of the day. So, Ryan, let's dive into this matchup of the Notre Dame sort of offense versus the USC defense and then the USC defense against the Notre Dame offense because it is it is really fascinating how these aspects match up. There's some areas in this matchup, Ryan, where it's good on good, some aspects where it's good on not very good. And how those things play out is going to have a huge role in this game. And that's why we do this this breakdown is to not just show – because it's not always, well, they're really good at that and that team's not good at that, so it's obviously going to work out that way. It doesn't, and but that's the key. Is you To win a game like this, Ryan, you've got to be good at what you do and you've got to try to stop the other team from being good at what they do, as, as good as what they do. And that's going to be the key for Notre Dame. And then now this is going to let us find out, well, what are those things? And I think we're going to begin, as we always do, I don't know why I keep saying think. We're going to start with, uh, as we always do, which is the Notre Dame rushing offense against the USC rushing defense. And, Ryan, as we talked before, you know, there's going to be some good-on-good matchups. This is not one of those. This is not a good-on-good matchup. This is a a good-on-not-very-good matchup. And, you know, you look at this, and and the numbers aren't – super different from a yards to you know a yard standpoint there's obviously big jumps in yards per attempt and touchdowns usc's rush rushing defense gives up a lot of a lot of yards per attempt and a lot of touchdowns on the ground yards it's not a huge difference but when you look at notre dame i think that that the notre dame ranking is a little bit misleading Mm -hmm. as to what this notre dame team is now and I think we can say with one minor hiccup, that would be against Navy, which mm-hmm. was a, still a very bizarre game. Notre Dame's ground attack really the last two months has been outstanding. Yep. You know, because you're talking about a team, Ryan, that in the first game of the year rushed for 76 yards. The next game of the year rushed for, uh, see here, uh, 130 yards. The next game they rushed for 147 yards. And as we talk then, like, wow, this team is really struggling to be what we thought it was going to be. They broke out on September 24th against North Carolina 
with 287 rushing yards in that game. That began a stretch of eight games in which Notre Dame rushed for at least 223 yards in six of the next eight games. And Notre Dame is currently averaging 218.1 yards per game over the last eight games. So, again, it's not like, hey, they're in the middle of a three-game hot streak. This is now an eight-game stretch in which Notre Dame has has been this team and I think it just kind of, I think that's more indicative of who they are. And if you look at that that ranking right there, 218 yards a game, it would put them 13th in the country in rushing offense. Right. I think that's more indicative of who this offense is. And of course, there's three option teams ahead of them. Mm-hmm. I think that's more indicative than even those numbers, in my opinion, what those numbers show. So I think that's something to keep when you talk about context. I think that's a very important part of the context of of who this team is. Uh, when you look at just looking at just from a Notre Dame offensive standpoint. Well, and I will say this because I agree with you hundred percent, right? Notre Dame's rushing offense has been the backbone of this team during the stretch that they now have been able to put together and the success that they've had over the last few games. This is you're coming now to the crossroads where this is why Notre Dame is successful. This is the identity of this football team. Everyone knows it. Notre Dame knows it. And you have to, live that right like you have to be proud of the how you win in especially offensively right now that's how you win and brian when you're facing off against a usc team i know we've talked about this before but i can't stand alex grinch's defense i really can't man structurally from a run game perspective it's uh it's not pretty man and it's never really been pretty they had he had one great year at washington state one a phenomenal year where hercules matayafa was an All-American, and everything was cooking that year. Oklahoma was very inconsistent. USC has also been very inconsistent. This is not a great rushing defense. They have a couple names in their front seven that people are going to know and the people should know that are good football players. But for the most part, I think that the defense, like it needs to get more talented for Mm -hmm. sure. It needs to, especially in the front seven. Right. But it's also, I think, this is a product of what we've seen from Alex Grinch, right? He's a master of chaos, but being a master of chaos also means that you leave other spots out to dry a lot, and mm-hmm. it's structurally unsound. And that's the issues that I have most seen with the USC rush defense is that there's just guys that just aren't in the right spot a lot, right. which is maddening for them. They give up gash plays. I mean, yes. there's plays where you're just like, man, boy, that was a great series. They just came out. They were filling gaps. They shut that team down. And then the next series, it's like 15, 9, 25, 13, 40-yard touchdown. Like, how did that team do that when the last series they looked as good as they were? And, look, we have a – I don't know if Archer's in the show with us today, but Archer – they had – Ohio State fans will tell you the same thing. I mean, they – they yeah. could not stand him in a very short period of time at Ohio State because it was, again, it was a lot of the same thing. It's a very aggressive defense. It's a really, like, let's try to create negatives type of defense. And that's why when you look at it, you know, kind of looking ahead, we'll see some things about this defense. There's a couple areas about this defense that are very good statistically. Uh, if you just take those statistics in a vacuum and, and you know, they're very good in sacks. They're very good in tackles for loss. They're very good at turnovers. But the way they go about it puts them such at risk of getting gashed in so many other areas. And it's really the thing about it, the reason people say, you know, why, why, why does Lincoln Riley put up with that? Because that's what Lincoln Riley wants. He doesn't care about having a defense that stops the rushing attack. He wants a defense that's going to force stops however you can get them. 
just I just need you to give me two to three stops a game and we won't lose. And, and, and op- opportunistic turnovers right. is a big thing for right. Lincoln as well. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of what they do. So yeah. I don't think he necessarily has a problem with this, honestly, because it was a lot of it was the same thing at Oklahoma. Yep. And and so it's going to it's going to make this interest this matchup is interesting because also if you look at the last uh, eight games for Notre Dame as well, they're averaging five point five point zero yards per rush, mm-hmm. which also obviously, you know, puts them a little bit higher than where they are now. That would put them tied for 26 with BYU in, yep. in yards per attempt. And, and so we're seeing them start, however, the last two of the last three games to be a little bit more big play in their run game. Yep. And this is going to be a thing in this game, Ryan, where you're going to need to see that. You're going to need to see two things from the Notre Dame ground attack, efficiency and rip off some big plays. That's going to be a very key. And first down run game success is going to be huge in this game because you're going to need to be able to, to sometimes match USC with scores and the ground attack is going to be key to that. And when you look at USC, Ryan, also the other aspect of it is they don't really have a lot of bad games on defense. Like they don't have that you know, that performance like Notre Dame's had a couple games like that where it's like, you know, 255 against Navy and you're like, wow, that's a lot of yards. Or, you know, like last year, for example, when they gave up uh, 264 in the opener against Florida State, their they're most yards they've get, they've only given up over 200 yards this year twice. And that was in week two to Stanford and, and then last week to US, UCLA and the Stanford game was 291, 221 yards. Yeah. So they're consistently giving up yards. To teams, you know, 146, 221, 164, 153, 88, 144, 138, 163, 63, 135, 204. So it, it is it is interesting to see how they do it. And then also, as we get, we'll get into the pass defense, like they're not real good in that area either. And I think that's I think part of it, too, is when you look at their numbers that people have to understand is the reason they're rushing numbers don't match the other parts is because a lot of teams in the Pac-12 don't run the football. Right. And it, if you look at the numbers, Ryan, it's very strange. We were having this conversation on the message board yesterday, <clears throat> you know, about, about USC's rush defense. UCLA is averaging 236.8 yards a game. Mm-hmm. Oregon's averaging 223 yards a game. Utah's averaging 205. Oregon State's averaging 192. And then USC's next. Then there's this huge drop-off to USC's fifth. Then there's this huge drop-off to number six. Washington's at 138.9, then 132.9, 131.6, 115.4, 112.6, 112.3, and then 99.3. Who's 99.3? Cal. Ugh. And then Stanford's right above them. And if you look at if you look at USC's schedule, they've played every team from seven to twelve. They didn't play Washington at number six. They did they didn't play Oregon at number two. So I mean a couple of those good rushing teams they didn't play. Now they did have some success. If you look at their game against Utah, they had some success running the football that game. But I felt, and you tell me if you disagree, they so overcommitted to trying to stop the run that that allowed them to get kind of ripped up with some big plays in the pass game. And that ultimately is what cost them the game. So they haven't shown the ability to, to stop the run without then sacrificing other parts of their defense. And I think that's sure. what what makes them vulnerable is, is if you can establish your ground attack against USC – Mm-hmm. you're going to have a chance to score some points. There's you, no doubt about it. Also, you want to talk about polar opposites, Brian? This team, to stop the run, is Notre Dame is a very downhill physical run style, right? USC wants to stop the run with movement, like you're talking about, right? Like they'll take Eric Gentry, who is like 6'6", 200 pounds at linebacker, line him up all over the place, 
they'll take Tuli Tuilopoto. I don't know how to pronounce his name. My deepest apologies to Tui. He was a very good player, by the way. Tuli, just call him Tuli. Just do what I do with DJ. Just call him DJ. All right, Tuli, who is a 6'4", 290-pound guy that plays mostly defensive end in their system because they play like kind of a hybrid three-man, four-man front. So they'll kind of rotate a little bit. But the master of chaos, right? They they did this against UCLA at least. I saw a bunch. They took Tuli and they put him at middle linebacker and they would just blitz him through random gaps and stuff, right? So they're just trying to make offensive line guess wrong. They're trying to use their movement to stop the run. While Notre Dame is going to just say, hey, we are going to run right down your throats, right? right. And we are going to come right at you, stop it. And so it is a also not only a good versus not so good comparison, it's also very different styles of team, right? Like you're talking about a very finesse run defense in UC- USC and a very power-centric, power-heavy running style with Notre Dame. A ton of duo, a ton of inside zone, like they're going to do those types of things. So just an interesting comparison based upon how these teams also want to win in these areas as well. And to a degree, I think USC has to do that. Because if you look at their if you look at their depth chart, Ryan, they're not very big. I mean, I would I would argue their ends, well, I mean, not even argue, it's just statistically it's a fact. Their ends are bigger than their tackles. You know, Nick Figueroa is two hundred starting ends. Nick Figueroa is two hundred and seventy five pounds, Thule is two hundred and ninety pounds. And then their inside guys, uh, Stanley Tuafi Ofo or Tuafo. I'm sorry, I'm not. I, don't, I really mean no disrespect. I just don't know how to pronounce no. that. Is yeah. 270 pounds, and then Tyrone Tulaney is 280 pounds. The only guy that they have inside with any kind of size that plays a lot is Brandon Peely, who's 345 pounds, but he doesn't really move that great. Then John uh, Dejon Benton uh, is 270 pounds. So I mean, they're they're a bit of an undersized team. You know, and then and Shane Lee is big at 245, but, you know, Eric Gentry's 200 pounds. I mean, Raylan Goldforce is only 225. They're not a real big team. And so I think they have to do that. Like, they don't they don't have the luxury against Notre Dame to play the way that, that, that BC did to a degree, but mm-hmm. more so how Clemson played. They're going to have to be like Navy. And that's yeah. the danger that I, that, that I think for Notre Dame is if you play your game, you should be okay. But if you have one of those off games like they had against Navy, or if your pass game's not able to really help you out, then that's where you could have some some issues for Notre Dame in that you can't really get your offense going. So it, it, that's the one danger for Notre Dame is when you are so one-dimensional on offense, if that part of your offense isn't rolling, you can, you can have some problems against a team like USC. But when right. you look at the statistics, Ryan, obviously in this particular matchup, this is clearly advantage Notre Dame. Even with the overall season numbers, it's clearly advantage Notre Dame. When you take into account what Notre Dame has become, it's a significant advantage for Notre Dame. Without doubt. Let's move on to the pass game matchup, Ryan. This is a very intriguing matchup because this is one of, this is the, in my opinion, the only bad on bad matchup of the game. Right, USC's not very good at stopping the pass, and Notre Dame's not very good at throwing it. Now, Notre Dame has at times been like, okay, hey, I think they're turning the corner here as a passing offense. We have seen, especially in some of the bigger games for Notre Dame, that they have shown an ability to, to make some plays through the air. Now, the problem is, is you just don't know what you're going to get. Obviously, North Carolina was an example where Drew Pine played great. Uh, BYU was an example where Drew Pine played great. I thought against Clemson, I thought he made some clutch plays in that in that game. 
but you're not going to beat USC in my opinion. I just don't think it's possible to beat USC going nine of 17 for 85 yards in the air. I just don't think that's doable. You know, I think minimum you're going to need something like last week where he takes a hits a couple of throws that he missed. I think is what you're going to need. They're going to need to get something out of their pass game, Ryan, for this to to be a game that I think Notre Dame can win, barring their defense forcing a lot of turnovers. But as we're going to get to here in a little bit, that's not exactly something that's very easy to do against this USC offense. So this is the matchup that will concern you if you're Notre Dame. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting because, like you said, there's been glimpses, but it's obviously been super inconsistent from a Notre Dame passing offense perspective. You're facing it off against a defense that I would quantify them like this, Brian. I know we talked about it a little bit before the show, but the secondary is talented. I just think that they're just inconsistent right now, right? And we talked a little bit. It's you know some age things, right? Like their best player in the secondary, in my opinion, is a true sophomore. I know you mentioned Sierra White, who I also believe is only a sophomore right now. So they're, they're throwing out a lot of younger guys outside of like Max Williams, and and, and so I just think there's a little bit of not a little bit. There's been a lot of inconsistency with that unit. They've made a lot of big plays, which is quantified by the 18 interceptions that they have caused this year. But then they also have given up a ton of big plays, quantified by the 106th ranking nationally in pass yards let up per game, right? So it's a very feast or famine pass defense, I would say, for USC. Yeah. But for Notre Dame to have an opportunity to win this football game and potentially, you know, kind of hopefully dominates Notre Dame's passing offense needs to come to play in this game. Cause I agree with you. I don't think nine out of 17 for 80 something yards is going to cut it. I don't, I think that Notre Dame needs to have at least an efficient ability to throw the football in this game. They don't have to throw for 400, but they have to have the threats in general, because you've seen that right now, this is not a great pass defense for USC. And this can't be a game where they become a strength. That's the, that's the point blank to it. Yeah, and I think when you look at USC's defense, it's it, this epitomizes what we were talking about earlier from from Alex Grinch. There are two polar opposites here statistically when you look at this matchup, and that is they are really they rank in the bottom half of the national rankings in yards allowed per game. Which you know my stance on that. I don't put as much on yards per game without context. You need more context. Because if they're winning a lot of games big, then guess what? Teams aren't going to throw as much. But then the other part of it is style of play. What do our other teams just, you know, built to throw the ball more, all those type of things. But when you look at it, their yards allowed attempt, their yards allowed per attempt is very low. They give up a lot of yards per attempt. They're in the bottom half of the country in yards allowed per completion. They're in the bottom half of the country in efficiency defense. And then lo and behold, they lead the nation in interceptions and they're 12th in sacks. And that's kind of what they do. I mean, that's 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 where they're at, Ryan. And and it's that oper- it's 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 not even out call it opportunistic. I call it just risky. It's just yes. they're gonna they're gonna do a lot of stuff. And if it works, they're gonna shut you down. And if it doesn't work, or if your quarterback doesn't handle it, or whatever the case may be, then you know it'll it'll work. And you know, it just it, you get kind of these really polar opposite results for them. Yeah. But you know, you say, well, you know, they they, they have a hard time stopping the pass, but that's the danger of this matchup is Notre Dame has been has not been a team that is is real consistently good at attacking with the pass game. Now we saw them rip Navy apart in the first half, and then what Navy do with their adjustments? They just brought you know did a couple extra pressures and took away the quick game, and all of a sudden Notre Dame couldn't move the football. Uh-huh. And I think that's that that's to me is the danger of of this. And and you know you talk about 
I think trends are important in football, right? I think how, how you're playing recently matters. Sure. And if you look at USC in their last five, their last five games, Ryan, against Utah, Arizona, Cal, Colorado, and UCLA, so not exactly like a murderer's row of opposition. Mm-hmm. They've given up 328.6 passing yards per game in their last five games. They're giving up 8.4 yards per attempt in their last five games, and they're giving up 13.0 yards per completion in the last five games. So they're heading in the wrong direction. And the only reason that number is not worse is because Colorado only went passed for 124 yards and averaged 5.9 yards per attempt because they're awful. It's so but bad, man. It's so you, bad. Yeah. Utah went for 424. Arizona went for 380. Cal went for 406. And then UCLA this past week went for 309. And and so and Utah, they're, they're, Utah, yeah. Utah and Cal are not built off of being passing offenses either, right? Well, like it's, Utah wants to be round and pound, control, yeah. Cam Rising makes good decisions. He's not a guy that should be throwing for 400 Here's yards. what Utah did the next four games. So against USC, four, 68.9% completions, 424 yards, 9.4 yards per attempt. Here's what they did in the next four games. Against Washington State, 175 yards, 63 completions, 6.5 yards per attempt. Against Arizona, 52% completions, 151 yards, 6.0 yards per attempt. Against Stanford, 235 yards, 61.8% completions, 6.9 yards per attempt. And then this past weekend against Arizona, against Oregon, 55.3 completion percentage, 175 yards, 170 yards, 4.5 yards per attempt, zero touchdowns, four picks. Yeah. So to your point, the only other team that they really threw the ball well on, the only other teams they've thrown the ball well on besides UCLA, USC, is they went for 287 against US, US, UCLA's pass defense, which, as you and I saw on Saturday, isn't very good yeah. and have seen throughout the year isn't very good, which is ultimately why we picked USC. We wanted to pick UCLA, but the reason we couldn't do it is because UC, you, the quarterback, I didn't trust mm-hmm. the quarterback to make game-winning plays. But number two, they don't have a very – their defense is not good, especially their pass yeah. defense is not good. And then they had 260 yards against Arizona State, who's not very good. Uh, and then they had 352 yards against Southern Utah. But they went for 6.8 in a win over – in a loss to, to Florida. And, you know, they're, they're not a great – they're not a great passing offense, U- Utah. And they went for 424 against USC's defense. So to your point – you know, they're, they're giving up yards in, in ways where you're like, man, like these aren't even teams that are necessarily great at throwing a football. I mean, they give up 400 yards to, 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 uh, to Cal the next week against Oregon state Cal goes for 147. Right. I mean, so yeah, you're, you're correct, Ryan. They're, they're not trending in the right direction and they're, they're been especially getting gashed lately. And, and why does that matter? Because what you often see, and this happened with Notre Dame and, and Brian Van Gorder. If you remember in 2016 for Notre Dame, when, you know, 2014, excuse me, for Notre Dame, when you looked at early in the season, Notre Dame's defense looked pretty good, right? They, you know, beat Rice and, you know, gave up a lot of yards. Beat Rice didn't give up a lot of yards or points, right? That game was a blowout. Then the next game, you beat Michigan 31 to nothing. You only give up 289 yards. The next game, you beat Purdue 30 to 14. You only give up 290 yards. You beat Syracuse the next week, give up 429 yards, but only 15 points, and Syracuse got some yards late. The next week against Stanford in a, in a win, you give up only 205 yards. 
And then that's when the wheels came off. 516 to North Carolina. You give up 31 points to Florida State, 454 against Navy, 412 against Arizona State, 547 against Northwestern, a team that had never gone even to 400 at that point in time of the season. 409 to Louisville, who had a freshman quarterback at the time named Reggie Bonifant, who eventually moved to wide receiver. And, and then and you gave play, up playing running back in the NFL, right? Exactly. Now. <laughs> you gave up 577 yards to USC and then 436 to LSU. And that year that USC had 577 yards in Notre Dame, mm-hmm. Steve Sarkeesian called off the dogs. If you go back and watch that game, he could have scored 70 on Notre Dame that game. And he respectfully, like, respected the rivalry and was like, this is a wounded team. They're very beat up. We're not going to embarrass them. Right. And, and, Kudos to him because he could have. And then Brian Kelly returned that favor in 2017 because Chip Long wanted to put about two, three more touchdowns on USC in 2017. And Brian Kelly was like, no, we're not running it up on him because he remembered what they, you know, that he, they knew, they knew that USC, they went on like this, like 12 minute drive at one point in time. Remember that game with Max Whittakin as the backup quarterback? Yep. You know, so you, you know, what happened? Did, well, injuries set, well, injuries didn't really set into like Louisville. What happened before? Teams finally had a, okay, now we have five games of film on this guy. We've figured his tendencies out. We know what he's going to do on third down. We know what he likes to do. We know where his pressures are going to come from. And now we're going to rip it up. Mm-hmm. And that's what their name needs to do in this game. They have, look, I'm not saying, Ryan, they got to throw for 300 yards. I'm not saying yeah. that. If they throw for 300 yards, they're going to win this game in a blowout, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But I don't see that happening. Notre Dame hasn't thrown for 300 yards all game or all season. Uh, which is just nuts to say to me. I'm sorry. I just I think that's nutty to say that they've only gone over 270 yards once all year, but that's a different Ooh. conversation for a different day. But we've seen Drew Pine against this kind of secondary in the past have some success, mm-hmm. and at least for a half, and that's what he's going to have to do. They're going to have to do some stuff early that, that Tommy Reese is going to have to generate some things early, Ryan, that get Drew comfortable and let USC know you can't just – heat us up, heat our run game up because we're going to have this for you. That's going to make you pay. And if they can do that, then, then they should be able to be able to score a lot. Cause I I don't think this is going to be a 2017 game. I don't think this is a game you can score 21 offensive points and win like you did against, uh, against Clemson, you know, cause you can't bank on a block punt for a touchdown and an interception at the 11, you know, you can't, I mean, a pick six an interception at the 11 that also sets up another touchdown. You're going to have to move the ball. You're going to have to score. Right. And it's going to be really interesting too, Brian, because I'm looking forward to seeing what Tommy Reese does early on in this football game because, to your point, you need to get Drew in some type of rhythm. You need to in this football game. And the one thing that USC has done well, aside from getting forced turnovers, is they have gotten after the quarterback pretty well. I mean, you look at that number, they have 33 sacks on the season, which ranks 12th in the nation right now. I mentioned Tooley before. I mean, he's got 11 sacks on the season. Hunter Eccles, who is a former pretty good recruit, it's kind of been around the block a little bit at a couple of different programs, has had his flashes at times. We mentioned Eric Gentry. Like they're going to bring some pressure from the second level as well. But I really think that this is a game where, again, I know we talk about this every week, and we're not going to talk about keys to victory as much during the show. But the offensive line, I think, really just has to do well against this defensive front because they they might not be big, might not be great against the run. But what they can do is they can move and they get after the passer a little bit. So just looking at that sack number for USC, that's a matchup where, because Notre Dame has been pretty good with not allowing a ton of pressure, with not allowing a ton of sacks. But now they're going to get a team that that's kind of how they make their living defensively is being able to force pressure and being able to force turnovers. 
Let's go to the next matchup, Ryan. That's going to be the Notre Dame scoring offense against the USC scoring defense. And again, it's it's this is where it starts to even out, right? And this is where you say, okay, this is going to make it this interesting. Notre Dame ranks higher in points per game and USC, you know, points allowed. Notre Dame is higher in yards, yards per play. USC is better in the red zone. Notre Dame is significantly better in third down offense uh, compared to their third down defense. And then the turnover aspect is very, very fascinating, Ryan, because you know Notre Dame turned the ball over three times in the first two games. They turned it over three times against Marshall. They turned it over twice against Stanford, twice against UNLV. Really, since then, they've, they've been pretty good, I think, about not turning mm-hmm. the ball over. You know, you had the one, you had the one turnover against Syracuse, which was just not a good turnover, but it ended up not proving detrimental. You had the the turnover against Navy, and then you had the turnover last week against Boston College. And I'm I'm even trying to remember what that that one was. You had a lost fumble. Oh, it was on a punt. It wasn't even the Notre Dame offense. It was on a punt return from Matt Salerno. So, oh yes, yep, uh-huh. yeah. Because I'm like, I don't remember the offense turning the ball over. They scored in their first eight possessions. But when this team protects the football, Ryan, they're pretty good. Well, USC is really good at forcing turnovers, and that to me is the is the concern I have. Is mm-hmm. if USC can get Drew Pine kind of rat a little rattled, get him rushing throws, mm-hmm. getting you know having if he's stepping into the pocket. Look, USC is going to they're they're going to get their hands up. They're going to do what every other team has done. They're going to try to tip a pass and get a p- interception. And they've had a lot of those type of picks this year, Ryan, a lot of those kind of tip pass interceptions, which is good. That's one good thing they do. Uh, they clearly practice that type of stuff, but you've got to, you can't have Drew Pine making those kind of mistakes in this game. You can't, you, you have to play clean. And that, that to me is the biggest part of this, of this matchup. And, you know, Notre Dame's red zone offense has gotten better and better and better every, all throughout the year. It's now in the top 25 nationally. USC's not very good. So when you get in the red zone, touchdowns have, you know, they have to be touchdowns, right? That's going to be a key too. You're not going to beat USC kicking a bunch of field goals. So yeah. this is this is the interesting part. I mean, I think you know advantage for Notre Dame in the run game. I think the pass game is even statistically. I think Notre Dame has a personnel advantage on the skill positions. It really comes down to Drew Pine, and I think the same thing is true here. Notre Dame has a talent advantage over USC's defense everywhere except one position, and that's a big that's the big question mark. That's quarterback. And so this this game really, and I hate to put this kind of pressure on it, but this game really hinges on Tommy Reese being able to get True Pine comfortable, and then Drew going out and making the reads and making the throws, executing his technique, staying back in the pocket, getting the ball out, not forcing mistakes, you know, not doing some of the things that can get him in trouble. If he can play clean, I you know this Notre Dame's going to score points. Will it be enough to win? That we don't know, and that we'll discuss more on Friday. But it'll certainly give them a chance to score enough to be in the game in the fourth quarter, and that's really where you want to be because that's when you can wear USC down, hopefully, and you know put the game away. But it, it that that's going to be the key. Drew Pine's got to play well, and you've got to protect the football. Those are going to be vitally important in this game because USC forces a lot of turnovers, and we'll see in a little bit they don't turn it over themselves. No, they don't. They don't. I mean, we'll get into that obviously, but I'm pretty sure. Caleb Williams only has what two interceptions all the year or something like three. that, like a, three. three interceptions. Yeah, so yeah he threw been... a third this past weekend against UCLA. Right. So that was yeah. what you're you're looking at his number. What his numbers were going into that game, Ryan? So yeah, you're, you're... yeah. That was a really bad interception against UCLA, by the way. Number twenty was like an underneath zone, but but you yeah. know what I love about him though, Ryan? Didn't yeah. phase him one bit at all. No, it didn't. I mean just you're didn't right. phase him. I mean, look, hey, look, guys, you're gonna you're gonna throw interceptions sometimes, it, but yeah. it, it's like, but you can't let it phase you. And he just came out the next year and was like, I'm fine, I'm, I got this, and that's it's very what I, true. 
That's what I love about watching a kid play. I really do. Like I hate USC. All you know, okay, they're a rival, but I also love talented football players and good football players. And that kid's a really good football. Oh no, he's player. he's he's a stud, yeah. man. He's a. We'll, we'll get into talent. him here in a little bit, but yeah. yeah. Well, uh, the one the back, one thing I was going to say that worries me a little bit about USC's defense, and it it goes it all goes hand in hand, right? We talked about the forced turnovers. You talked about the sacks. Well, what causes that to happen? You mentioned some tip passes. Well, they have good length on that unit overall, right? They do. Tully is six foot four with pretty long arms, playing one defensive end. Hunter Eccles is a pretty long kid at six four. He's a little bit more of a lighter stand up rusher, but he's got length for him. Eric Gentry is the weirdest body type I've ever seen of a linebacker at 6'6", 200, but the one thing he has, he's got Lane. length. No yeah. doubt about that. Kalen Bullock. Solomon Bird's going to play a lot as well yes. at end as a rotation. He's 6'4". Six yep. Nick Figueroa is 6'5". Yep. He's not real athletic, but he's it's long. long. Yep. You know? He's long. Kalen Bullock, their best safety is 6'3". He's longer guy. Mikai Blackman, cornerback, is six foot with decent length. I mean, so they have length on that level. So for me, Notre Dame needs to be crisp. They need to get the ball out on time, and that all comes back to the quarterback. It does, right? Like you need to be able to get through your reads quickly, get the ball out, not telegraph passes, not stare stuff down. You need to get the ball out fast because that's where that length really starts to hurt you is when you double clutch or you're staring things down or you're not sure of where you're going to go with the football. Those things happen, and ball security just in general, and this is past through Pine for a second, is going to be big. We haven't talked at all about Audric Estime in recent weeks from a negative perspective because he's kind of cleaned up the fumbling issue he had during the middle of the season, right? So that needs to continue. Notre Dame can't shoot themselves in the foot against this team because mm-hmm. you don't want to give their offense extra possessions. Like that is the worst thing that you can do against USC is give them extra possessions. This is a team that is built off of we're going to give the offense the ball as many times as possible. We're going to force 24 turnovers so far this year and let Caleb Williams and let Jordan Addison and all those dudes go make plays and score points. Right. That's how USC is built off right. of. So I think being, being, I don't want to say, cause I don't well, want it to be a thing where Notre Dame is tentative offensively, not right. afraid to take a chance, but also no, you got, you got to attack. You just got to play clean. That's, yes. that's really what it, it, this isn't about conservative football. You can't, you're not going to beat them being conservative and running the ball a ton is, doesn't equal conservative. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do, right? If they're going to load the box, here's, you know, let's hit Braden Lindsay on a, on a reverse or something like that. You know, let's beat him with a screen. It's just about you've got to have a smart game plan that doesn't expose Drew Pine to a lot of the things that he's not good at. He's going to have to yeah. do some of that, but don't expose him to a lot of that. And then when you get in those situations, you got to play clean. Yeah. That's, the kryptonite to USC is clean football. Don't give up negatives and don't turn the ball over. That's kryptonite to their defense. I mean, absolute mm-hmm. kryptonite because, like you said, that's what they're all about. That's what their defense is all about. And when they don't do a lot, when they don't do that, and they don't force a lot of negatives, they they have problems. Here, here's the deal. Their defense, as we talked about before, let's go back to it, tackles for loss, they rank mm-hmm. 48th in the country. Sacks, they rank 12th. You know how many tackles for loss they had in their one loss this year, Ryan? One. One against Utah. They had one tackle for loss, and I believe that was a sack, if I remember correctly. No, it was not a sack. So, you know, you had how many sacks did you have against UCLA? One. Yeah. Right? How many sacks did they have against Oregon State? Zero. Hmm. Right? And so when you look at when this team has struggled, they're not getting pressure. They're not creating negatives. Teams are playing ahead of schedule, and they're able to 
they're able to, to, you know, win games. I mean, Oregon state, right. Uh, the reason Oregon state lost that game, four turnovers. That's why they lost that game. Utah turned it over once. Why did UCLA lose that game? Four turnovers. I mean, it, it, they turned it over four times. USC turned it over, I believe, what, once? Right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And they still barely won by three points. Yep. Over a good UCLA team. But that's the mm-hmm. point. The thing is, if you if you protect the football, Stanford's another example. Stanford did a lot of good things against USC. But what ha- what killed them? First long drive of the game, Tanner McKeithos an interception in the end zone. I believe it was off of a tip pass. I believe Right. That's the thing. You, you're going to move on them, but you got to score. And the teams that, you know, Stanford played with USC, but couldn't but turn the ball over too much. Oregon State outplayed USC, turned the ball over four times. Utah didn't. Utah eliminated the negatives against USC. And that's why they were able to score a lot of points. You know, UCLA did in some areas, but the turnovers killed them. You eliminate one of those turnovers and US, US, UCLA likely wins that football game. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately, Ryan, is why I went with. USC because I didn't think Caleb Williams is going to fold, and I thought that the other kid was going to make those kind of mistakes. He's had a heck of a year. I don't take anything away from him, but I just in this kind of game, he's just I just don't think he's good enough. It comes down to Caleb Williams versus Dorian Thompson Robinson. I'm taking Caleb Williams every day of the week. The you could say the same thing about this matchup, but the difference is is Notre Dame is not as dependent on Drew Pine as UCLA is on Dorian Thompson Robinson to be a playmaker. That's true, and that's the difference. And, and if I could add one last thing, Brian, I think that you mentioned it a little bit there, but you need to finish drives in the end zone. That's mm-hmm. like another big thing, right? Is that USC is going to score guys, right? Like they are, we're not going to, Notre Dame's not going to shut out USC. Like, can we just right. start there? Right. And it was awesome seeing Blake groupie get back on a good track last week, right? Three for three field goals, seven for seven on all his kicks. It was, it was great because he had been struggling, but this is not a game where you're going to win by kicking field goals. And we see on by these rankings, USC has struggled keeping teams out of the end zone when they got in, into the red zone. And Notre Dame has started to really push that envelope to the right direction, ranking 25th with their touchdown percentage. So when Notre Dame gets those opportunities, because I'm they will have those opportunities, in my opinion, they have to finish drives. They have to. Against this type of offense the USC has, field goals are not going to win this football game. Right. Ryan, we're going to move over to the defense here in a second, but just a reminder, we will have a mailbag at the end of this. So if you do have some questions, some people have already thrown some in. We've got already got about 12 of them starred. Feel free to do so now. We would appreciate that. Let's move over to the defensive matchup, Ryan, and, and this is where you're going to get more good on good, I think, in this matchup. And I think right now you look at this particular run game versus run defense matchup, and I, I think it's pretty even. And and it just depends on which version of Notre Dame shows up. And there, you know, obviously, I think USC not having Travis die hurts them, but they have run the ball. They did run the ball okay last week. A lot of that was about Caleb Williams, though. I thought that what we saw last week was is they needed a little bit more of his magic last week to be effective running the football. And one thing they did also last week that I thought was really effective, you know, Austin Jones had a good game, 120 yards. Uh, he had a nice performance. But what they did also, and since he's been in the lineup, they they do a pretty good job of getting him the ball in space with like little just little simple swing routes, you know. So where they're not as dependent because their offensive line is is a pretty has turned into a pretty good pass blocking unit, 
right? Yep. Which we'll get into, but they're not a great run blocking unit. They're more like just like they were at Oklahoma some years, where their 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 run game success comes from scheme and teams playing the pass. So what they've done this year is they 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 do a lot of getting the ball out to their backs. I mean, Austin Jones has 16 catches for 61 yards. Uh, if I remember correctly, Travis Dye had a decent number of receptions this year as well, Ryan. Yes, he had 21 for 202, and a lot of that stuff is just little swing checkdowns, right? And you're sitting there thinking, okay, you've covered deep pretty well, and all of a sudden either he Caleb Williams runs or they check it down, and that's almost like a – they'll do it too where they did against UCLA where it was a swing screen. They just – they're throwing the screen, and it's basically like a toss play, which yep. you know has to be looked at as, as that. So – I mean, Austin Jones is a, is a good football player. I don't think he's as physical of a runner as Travis Dye is, but he's athletic. You know, he's got some ability. So their their run game's not going to be terrible because Travis Dye is out. It just means there's just now kind of a, a one style where yes. Jones and Relique Brown are both fast slashers. Yes. Travis Dye was a slasher, but he also had some physicality to him. And I think they miss that. But that's what Caleb Williams added against UCLA. The question is, do you really want to dial that up the next two weeks with Caleb Williams kind of being needed to to provide some of that or not? I, I don't, he's capable of it, but do you really want him taking that beating? Because if you lose Caleb Williams from this offense, it's a whole different football team. Whole different yeah. football team. Uh, I mean, it, it's all due respect to Miller Moss, but he's not Caleb Williams, yeah. right? I mean, to your point, he's a talented kid. But right. Caleb Williams is the difference, I think, in the run game right now, Brian, to your point. Because – well, how I see USC, and you let me know if you see it any differently, this is a very movement-based offense from a running game perspective, right? Like they are not the most f- powerful offensive line of all time, but they do have a couple good athletes up front, right? Like angles. they have some yes. angles. They work yeah. angles tremendously well. They create nice creases based upon movement, and guys like Austin Jones have enough juice and explosiveness to create some plays, some chunk plays, which is a testament to them because they actually aren't very good at, as far as they allow a lot of tackles for loss on, on on their offense from the run game perspective, but yet they still average a pretty nice yard per carry average. Mm-hmm. So they create some explosive plays, but it's much more to your point. I just want to reiterate it. They're not a running. They're not a power running team. They are right. a team that wants to make teams. You want to create movement with your movements, work angles and create creases in that way. So you expect a lot more, Inside and outside zone, some stuff like Brian said, as far as like, hey, let's hit some swing screens to the perimeter. We're trying to get guys in a lot more space than just get downhill and read and react to what you're seeing up front, right? Like these is much more space oriented offense from a running game perspective. Now, Notre Dame, on the other hand, Ryan, is a very interesting team when you look at it, uh, really how their run game, run defense has been this season and rough start. Right. I mean, you Ohio State didn't put up great numbers, 172 yards, 4.9. But that's because Ohio State didn't really run the ball a ton or successfully in the first half. When it became money time, Ohio State was able to lean on Notre Dame and wear them down late. And their run game in the fourth quarter was the difference. Late third quarter, fourth quarter was the difference in that game. Next week against Marshall, run defense really struggled, Ryan. And they 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 I mean, they couldn't stop. They could stop a kid who was working in a in a what was it um, like a lumber yard or like something like like a Lowe's type of place you know the year before right yeah and then all of a sudden you come out and you you, you do a pretty good job against Cal's rushing offense give 112 yards most of that was scrambles had like a 20 yard run the rest of it was like scrambles by 
by Jack Plummer, and then you completely shut down North Carolina. BYU has a couple big runs, and then since then, the run defense really, outside of the one seventy-plus yard run against UNLV, the run defense really since the end of the Marshall game has been pretty outstanding. If you if yep. you really break it down, and I'm going to pull up the numbers, and the one thing I'm I'm going to do to put this in a proper context is take the Navy game out simply because it's not so much about taking it out because they gave up yards. But taking it out because it's a triple option. It's a different. It's a different brand. It's a completely yep. different animal. But in Notre Dame's since the since the BYU game when the when the rush defense was not great, in the six games the one two three four five games against non option teams since then, Notre Dame's only given up nine nine ninety yards a game rushing, awesome. and they're only given up two point nine yards per carry. Yep. So the run defense has been pretty good now. Part of that has been they've played some teams that aren't good at running the football, like Stanford's not very good at running the football. Boston College is not very good at running the football. They're the ranked last in the country, and Notre Dame held them below their season average. But Syracuse is a pretty good running team, and they held and them to 61 yards. Clemson. You know, Clemson's yeah. a pretty good running team. They held them to 90 yards. And so you know those teams, they were able to really shut down their ability to run the football. And so we've seen them, you know, against good teams and bad teams that they've really been able to, to slow them down and, and and be successful against them. So this makes this a very fascinating matchup because I'm I'm going to say it right now. And and by the way, in the game before they played Notre Dame, Clemson rushed for 293 yards against Syracuse. In the game after they played Notre Dame against a team that's now ranked in the top 25, they beat Louisville. They they beat Louisville 31-16, rushed for 248 yards, and then they ran for 207 yards against Miami. So, point being, that was an anomaly for Clemson, and Notre Dame shut you know completely shut them down in that game. So, we're going to talk a lot about the pass game, and we'll kind of get into the keys to victory, Ryan. But this is a matchup where that's on paper pretty even. That Notre Dame can't have it be even practically on the game. They cannot allow USC to be balanced, and that's the one thing that UCLA could not do. UCLA could not make them balanced. Yep. And I mean, make them unbalanced. They could not make them one. And it may sound crazy. You want them to throw the football. That That's right. what they're going to do. Now, here's an interesting thing that I'm going to ask you about, Ryan. Is mm-hmm. there merit in this game to doing kind of, I don't think there is, but I want to get, if you disagree, mm-hmm. Clark Lee, I won't even ask. I'm just going to come out and say it and then you can rebut it. Okay. Clark Lee had a very interesting strategy against USC. Okay. Which was much more of a, air a traditional air raid in that they did not run the football like lincoln riley's an air raid guy but he's an air raid guy like mike shanahan was a west coast guy right in that mike shanahan wasn't your traditional west coast guy because he was so he was such a believer in like he he combined west coast with alex gibbs (laughs) right outside zone and and it was a different animal and so uh, I kind of feel like Lincoln Riley and Phil Longo are sort of different animals of the air raid relative to the the founders, Hal Mummy, Mike Leach, guys like that, and then the the tree. So like Lincoln Riley is a is from the tree of Mike Leach. He was at mm-hmm. Texas Tech, but he's taken in a different direction that I think you means that you can't do what Notre Dame did to Graham Harrell's air raid, which is force them to run the ball because they can't beat you running the ball. I don't think that would work works against USC. I actually think in this version of USC, you actually have to make them you you want them to throw because oh, yes. because they have to throw. You have to take away the run game. You have to take away the backs and and mm-hmm. all of all of that entails, Ryan. Do you agree or disagree with that sentiment? 
I mean, as a defensive guy, I always want to stop the run. I don't care what the team is. I, I want the team to be one dimensional and I'll take my, I'll take my chances against the pass. I will, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of good things that Caleb Williams and just the general in offense could do passing the football, but there's also a lot of negatives that could happen too, right? Sacks, forced fumbles, interceptions, but bad throws. Like there's a lot tip of passes, negatives, right. tip passes. There's a lot of negatives that can happen passing the football, a lot more negatives that can happen comparative to running the football. And the worst thing that you can do is, okay, in theory, you want USC to run the football so that you are designing the defense to play the pass and Caleb Williams doesn't kill you. But then I would argue that most likely if you are rushing the ball well if you're USC, you're probably going to throw the ball well too because it's just hard to counteract both. I want to shut one down, and I'm always – I and this is the traditionalist to me – I always want to stop the run. And this is not something particularly unique to USC. If I was talking about North Carolina, if I was talking about Clemson, if I was talking about any team that's just a different type of team, different uh, different systems, different philosophies, I want to stop the run. I do. I want to make a team one-dimensional. I want them to try to throw the football. From there, your guys got to make plays. But right here, Brian, like – it, this can't be a game where you're like Austin Jones ran for a hundred something yards, right? Like that's if if that happens and Notre Dame gives up a decent amount of rushing yards and Austin Jones and Relique Brown have a couple of nice runs and they are able to control this. Caleb Williams is going off, right? Exactly. If that happens, then Notre Dame's going to lose this game, in my opinion. Like you can't let that happen. You have to force this team to be one dimensional, and you have to take your chances in the pass, and you have to force them into some bad decisions and your defensive line has to play well. So I am, Oh, I've always been a stickler too. Let's stop the run first and then we'll force mistakes in the passing game. That's always been my philosophy personally. I think that's key here too. I mean, you can, if us in this, look, this is, and how, how do we see, I mean, this is how it was at, at Oklahoma, right? I mean, you look at last year, why they almost get upset by Tulane? Part of it was they rushed for 116 yards, made them really one-dimensional, and then that forced them into mistakes and misses that allowed them to stay in the game, right? Barely beat West Virginia last year, ran for 57 yards. Barely beat Kansas State last year, ran for 131 yards. You know, lost to Baylor, ran for 82 yards. I mean, this has kind of been the the formula against Oklahoma for a long time is – if you can make them one-dimensional, you can keep them out of the end zone. And even some games that they won in the past, Ryan, where they they won games but didn't score a ton of points because they weren't able to run the football effectively. You know, yep. going back to 2020, they had 76 yards against Baylor that game and only scored 27 points. In the Big 12 title game against Oklahoma State they, or Iowa State, they ran for 120 yards and only scored 27 points. If Notre Dame can hold them to 27 points, you feel like you're going to have a shot to win this game, right? Well, then they go out into the in – the, um, the bowl game against Florida and rushed for 435 yards and beat Oklahoma, beat Florida 55 to 20. Right. I mean, you, if they run the ball on you, you you've got, I, I, it, Lincoln Riley, I, I, I'm going to go back and look at this. He doesn't have a lot of losses where he's run for 200 yards. I'm, I'm going to actually go back and look at this. So 2021, no losses with 200 yards, 2020, no law. I mean, their two losses that year were 130 and 114 yards rushing. 2019, their losses, they had 102 and 97 yards rushing. I mean, you know, again, picking up a pattern here. Uh, only lo- Okay, so last time they lost a game where they ran for 200 yards was all the way back in 2018. They lost to Texas 48 to 45. Mm. So, uh, yeah, 
I mean, it's so, just it's it doesn't happen often. They don't they don't lose and they run for two. They don't lose if they rush for two hundred yards. And then the only time before that, Ryan was in the overtime game against Georgia, in the mm. in the playoff where they out you know they outshot Georgia. And that USC's not that version of Oklahoma, not yet. Yeah. They have the quarterback for it, but just the overall package. He's in year one. I mean, they could eventually get to that, but in year one, he hasn't been able to recruit the line the way he wants to. He hasn't recruit you know a lot of the skill hasn't been in a system for two or three years and all that type of stuff where they can learn all the ins and outs of what he wants to do, which gives him greater versatility as a play caller, right? So, I mean, it, I think they'll eventually get there if he stays at USC, but they're not there yet. They have to be balanced if they're going to win. And if when this team is balanced, because Notre Dame doesn't have the kind of offense Georgia had that year, they don't have – I mean, their backs are good, but, you know, that that team also had a – that was just a better team. I mean, Georgia was national runners-up that year. Yep. So they're going to have to they're going to have to keep the run game in check. That to me is the biggest key, the biggest key to stopping Oklahoma, in my opinion. Brian, the analytics crowd is going to hate you so much. You tell really me care. running the football matters? Yeah. No way. I don't believe it. Yeah. You the basketball every play and win. I don't know. You don't know what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> I love the sarcasm coming out of it because those people are idiots. Dude, I have so many conversations on Twitter where people try to tell me running the football doesn't matter. I'm just like, okay, all right, yeah. sure. Okay. I mean, maybe in the NFL, because nobody does. Like, that's the thing is NFL is such a different game than college. There's so many more teams. There's so many different types of football. I mean, there's not a ton of diversity in the NFL, and there's not. Even if you look at a team like the Titans, and I don't know if the Titans are still this way, but in past years where they're just like this really – they're still doing a lot of similar concepts. They're just emphasizing this over that. There's there's no, like, air raid versus – Pro style versus triple option versus spread option. I mean, there's so much different stuff. And it's – I just think you you don't see a lot of teams in college football that are good that don't run the football. You're right? not wrong. At least not good consistently. Yep. You know, you've got to be able to run the football consistently. And, you know, like you look at Mississippi State, they're probably the closest thing to that. And I'm looking down at, like, the bottom part of the country, and there's, there's just not a lot of teams down there that are any good. Iowa's not very good. I'm looking at it here, Washington State and Texas Tech, or I mean uh, Mississippi it's, State. But what's the problem the Mississippi State has? When they lose, it's because their offense can't score because when teams can take their pass away, they have nothing. They have nothing. That's why Lincoln Riley's offense is so much better than Mike Leach's nowadays, right? Mm-hmm. It's why Phil Longo's offense is so much better than Mike Leach's nowadays because it's less slump-proof. It's more, it's more slump-proof, in my opinion, than what we see again in other games. And and why did Phil Longo have the issue that he had against Georgia Tech this past week, Ryan? What happened to North Carolina in that game? Couldn't run football. Yep. Right? This team is not good at running football. So they had 163 yards rushing, and I think like 70 of it came on one carry, like early in the game. They had that long touchdown run early, and then after that, couldn't run football. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's what's really hurt them. That's why this version of his offense is not as good as past offenses, and it's been so reliant on Drake May just being unbelievable, yes. right? And that's where you know he 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 can't put Caleb, what's allowed Caleb Williams to be so mistake free beyond his talent. I mean, his talent's part of that too, right? Sure. I was having this conversation with a buddy last night, and we were talking about you know John Elway, and he's a Steeler fan, and. You know the the pass that John Elway threw to on third on uh, to get a first down on third down against to Shannon Sharp in the 1997 uh, AFC Championship game or excuse me divisional game, mm-hmm. and he's like, oh the guy almost intercepted it, and I was like, no he didn't, 
And we went back and watched the play. And he didn't. He said, why? Because John Elway threw it 100 miles an hour. And there was no <laughs> way that guy was going to get his hand on it. It was like Shannon Sharp was catching that ball, whether Shannon Sharp wanted to catch the ball or not. You know, I mean, that's just the way he threw it. Well, Caleb Williams can do some of that. Like that yeah. throw against UCLA where he's running to his left there and put on Twitter. Like there's like maybe two guys, two, three guys in all of college football that can make that throw with that velocity. There's, you know, there's not, there's not many outside of Josh Allen and Pat Mahomes. Right. There's not many guys in the NFL right. that do that either. So he's yeah. going to make some of those plays, but overall, what helps him be a a guy that just doesn't turn a ball over is that they are able to make teams respect all parts of their game. And Lincoln Riley is not afraid to come out and say, if you're going to like overplay our pass game, that's fine. We're going to go off today with our yeah. run game. We're going to go off, and we're going to beat you up the middle. Running, and we're going to beat you over the middle throwing because you're trying to protect the outside so much. And I think that's why you have to be able to control the run game with your box. You have to be able to control the run game with your box and then be able to protect outside because you, you, you can't stop both, right? I mean, I don't think. No. So the one you can stop to me is the one up front. And so it's going to, you got to get Jason Adamiola back. JD Bertrand has to keep doing what he's been doing. And then I'm very curious to see how they use Maris Lufau in this game to attack. I'm very yes. curious about that. That's going to be a very fascinating aspect of this game. So we'll see how that goes. This next part, Ryan, this is this is one of the good-on-good good matchups, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And Notre Dame's got some interesting numbers in, in this regard because here's, here's a couple things that, to me, are very fascinating about Notre Dame's numbers. You know, their yards per completion is not great. A lot of that comes down from the North Carolina game where they gave up some, uh, how do I say this, uh, garbage plays late. They averaged 17.7 yards per catch. That's not how that game played out, right? I mean, a lot of that came after it was 38 to 14. They've been prone at times to giving a, a big play here or there, but when you look at their yards per game, their yards per attempt, their efficiency numbers and sacks, those are the numbers that really tell you the, the tale of how good you are on pass defense and Notre Dame has proven to be a very good pass defense this year. And yes, they've beaten up on teams that aren't good throwing a football, but they've also done a really good job, Ryan, in my opinion, against teams that can't throw the football because USC right now in passing yards per game ranks fourth nationally in passing yards per game. But Notre Dame's also played North Carolina who ranks sixth and Ohio state who ranks 17th in passing yards per game. And then Ohio state, I believe is third in yards per attempt USC is seventh, tied for seventh with North Carolina. So Notre Dame has played teams that have dynamic receiving cores and really good quarterbacks this year. Now you could argue C.J. Williams is the most talented of all the quarterbacks they've played, and I really wouldn't push back on that to be complete, as arm talent-wise. And he's definitely a better runner than C.J. Stroud, but he's very similar to Drake May in that regard, right? And they've played receiving cores with a lot of speed. And and so – this is not a new test for Notre Dame, but it doesn't mean that, oh, because they did well then, they're going to do well now. They still have to play be on top of their game to stop this pass offense because ultimately at the end of the day, if you hold them to 100 yards rushing but give up 450 passing, you're still going to lose, right? right. And so that's going to be a key is you're going to have to, you're going to, have to find ways to create minuses for USC, whether it's incompletions, tackles for loss on their perimeter screen game, uh, yes. Breakups, uh, t- tipped passes, interceptions, all, all of that. It's the whole gamut. You're going to need to get some of that. You got what it comes down to, Ryan. You've needed to create as much inefficiency as possible with the USC pass game. It's yep. much easier said than done, 
But as the statistics show, it's much easier said than done. But that's what's going to be the key. But Notre Dame has done that. That's what they did against Ohio State, and that's what they did against North Carolina, right? Mm-hmm. So that's and they cool. have. A- they have a lot of good athletes on this USC team, right? Like we've talked about Jordan Addison already a little bit. We're talking about Taj Washington, Brandon Rice, Austin Jones working out of the backfield. They have some guys that can do damage after the catch. And I think that that's, my, that's first for me, Brian, is that this team needs to be, and they have been in recent weeks, they have to be really good on the edges tackling. Like I think Benjamin Morrison's done a nice job. Cam Hart, when he's been out there, has done, done a nice job being able to tackle in that screen game and not let those three to four yard games turn into eight to nine, right. And they get you into second and shorts and third and shorts. And this is a team where, again, this isn't unique to USC. This is unique to pretty much every, well, this is unique there. This is not unique. It is a similarity between every team. You want to get them in second and longs and third and longs. You want to, because it's just, it's a, it's the, it's the situation where, now they are limited with what they can do and how they can operate as an offense. So Notre Dame needs to tackle well in the perimeter. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. And this can't be, and I've seen people already say this in the chat earlier in the show, Brian, where, hey, you know, Cam Hart or, or Benjamin Morrison need to go and shadow Jordan no. Addison. And I disagree. No. I disagree tremendously. Do what you do. Your offense, your your secondary needs to be collaborative effort. You need to be good across the board because this team has multiple weapons. This isn't just the Jordan Addison show. Is Jordan Addison great? Yeah, of course he is. Very good football player. There's a reason he won the Blitnikoff last year, right? right. There's a reason he's going to be drafted pretty high in the draft this year. He's a he's a good football player, really good college player, no doubt about it. But Taj Washington's a good football player too. Brandon Rice is a good right. football player. Kyle Ford has made some plays. Like they have receivers that have the ability to beat you if put in a bad, put into a good situation for themselves. So Notre Dame across the board is going to take a collaborative effort from the Ben Morrisons of the world, from the Brandon Josephs of the world, from the Xavier Watts of the world, from the Tariq Bracey's, from the Clarence Lewis's. For everyone across the board, this is a make-it-or-break-it game for the secondary. They need to, because they've been a strength, much better than anybody gave him credit for <laughs> from a fan base perspective before the season. Notre Dame secondary has played really well, and it's been a good pass defense for Notre Dame. This is the this is right up there as their biggest test. You mentioned against North Carolina. You mentioned against Ohio State. This is another potent passing attack with a great quarterback and a lot of weapons. Notre Dame secondary needs to come to play on Saturday. This is a vital matchup to, to yeah. figuring out who's going to win this game. Well, it's it's kind of it's kind of funny, Ryan. You know, uh, Roger Dodger, our resident USC fan, has talked made a comment about how there's a uh, there's a um, not a lot of uh, trying to let me just go here real quick and find this real fast because I want to pull this up. So there's a lot of lower numbers on the right. Again, this is why we provide context. Notre Dame has pretty low numbers on the left when you consider they've played two top ten pass offenses this year. The highest ranked pass defense in the Pac-12 from a yards allowed per game standpoint is Utah, who ranks 50th nationally. The yeah. next best is 59th at Oregon State, who did a pretty good job shutting them down. So, I mean, you're talking about you have to you have to look at the context of the fact that the, the, the Pac-12 just does not have very good pass defenses. The one team that's pretty good at keeping yards and, and, uh, and yards per attempt and yards per completion down is Oregon State. 
Oregon State ranks in the top 25 in yards allowed per attempt, and they rank in the top 25 in yards allowed per completion. How many points did USC score in that game? 17. Uh-huh. Right? So, again, it, what you what Oregon State was able to do is they were able to create inefficiency in the USC pass game. And that's something that a lot of teams in that conference have tried to do and can't because they don't have the coaching nor do they have the players. And this is what you and I talked about a while ago when we were talking about a, a matchup that Oregon State had recently. You know, they've got a pass defense that usually is pretty good at creating inefficiency. And that's what they're able to do against USC is they were able to create some inefficiency. Now, everyone else has tried to do it, but no one else has been able to, you know, have success with it. They held USC to 180 yards and 44.4 yards per attempt. That was a bit of an off day for USC. It's part of it. Caleb was missing some throws he normally makes. But the other part of it is USC's defensive backs were very physical and very aggressive at getting hands on the football. And that's going to be a big key. And the pass rush got to him pretty consistently. And there wasn't a lot of places for him to go. They did a really good job controlling the rush lanes, I thought, in that game as well. It was a really well-coached game, really well-executed game. At the end of the day, though, USC won. Why? Because their offense couldn't score. And that's my that's my big concern. Or Oregon State's offense couldn't score. That's my big concern in this game is even if your defense plays great, if your offense doesn't step up, you're still going to lose. And that's that's the key is you 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 they're going to move the ball. They're going to get their points that you said, Ryan. This is not going to be a 17 to 14 game, in my opinion. That was an anomaly. That game was an anomaly for for USC. But I think the the recipe for success that Oregon State implemented is the recipe for success. They're just the only defense in the league that had the ability to pull it off, in my opinion. Yeah, Um, I thought Washington State did a good job with that early. They just didn't have enough athletes late. That was a because USC's played a couple games this year, Ryan. Arizona State was that way. Washington State was that way. Where yeah, that game was a lot closer than it, the final score showed. Stanford, I felt, was kind of that way. Now, mm-hmm. as they've kind of gotten later in the year, they've had a couple games that were, um, I'd say, close games on the box score, but really weren't as close. Yeah, you know, per se as 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 you'd think. Um, Cal was that way, for example. You know, it was a six-point game. Eh, kind of. It was 34 to 14 going in the fourth quarter, right? Yeah. Cal scored 21 points in the fourth quarter. Now, USC didn't finish, but we've seen that from Notre Dame. It doesn't mean that that team is on your level or that team played with you, right? And, you know, we saw that recently with Navy. So it's been interesting to watch this USC team kind of go through the year where early in the season they had some blowout games that were much closer than the final score would make you think. Um, mm-hmm. And then they've had games where, mm, yeah. It, it's not as close. The Arizona game was was the one exception. I thought that was a pretty competitive game for most of the game, um, and USC pulled away late in that game. Yeah. But that's where they are, man. They're going to move the ball. They're going to score. And it, yep. for Notre Dame, it's it's about stopping it. So here, Ryan, we didn't really get into this uh, rushing game, rush attack. I would say this. I I think it's a it's a it's Advantage Notre Dame, in my opinion, when you consider how well they've been playing lately with mm-hmm. Ty, uh, Travis Dye out, but it's a slight advantage here. It's definitely advantage USC. Uh, how much of an advantage? I, I don't think it's a huge advantage because, again, we've seen Notre Dame against this type of offense before, talent-wise, and they've held their own. Mm-hmm. But in one of the games, they couldn't make stops late that they needed to make to win, and the big plays cost them. In the other game, you know, they were able to make all the stops they needed too early, and their offense stepped up. And then down here, the final part, Ryan, is this is this is going to be to me. I'm going to go advantage USC here, 
even though mm-hmm. it's close for two reasons. Number one, Notre Dame has been a team that has not had any games. Where they've given up a lot of points, right? They've had two games. Where they gave up 32 points. And in both of those games, those teams scored a lot late. North Carolina mm-hmm. scored a lot late. Navy scored a lot late. They've been able to keep points down, but but until the BC game, they had never really shut anyone down, and that's a bad offense at USC. So you, you're you're going to give up some points. It's about creating stops and creating enough negatives, and I think that's one of the things that's been the big key for Notre Dame is when they can make stops, they're pretty good. When they can't, they're going to give up yards. And so USC, obviously, in, in a lot of these areas, is, ranks incredibly high in a league where there's not very good defenses. Notre Dame, in a lot of these areas, ranks pretty high when you consider – the skills they've played, but there's two areas, Ryan, that are going to be key to this game, which is why I give USC the advantage in this matchup. Number one, red zone. Mm-hmm. Now, what's crazy is that's actually a really big improvement for Notre Dame because at one point in time, opponents were like 20 of 20. Yes. In, 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 you know, in, 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 or excuse me, uh, 19 of 20 in red zone touchdowns. So they've actually been decent lately at keeping teams out of the end zone. And then the other one is turnovers. And again, Notre Dame has gotten a lot better. Ryan. I mean, they mm-hmm. they went through that. They went one turnover through the first six games of the year, something insane like that. Yep. They've started to force tur- a lot more turnovers. As they have, teams have been at, you know, Clemson struggled to score on their name because they turned the ball over in crucial turnovers. I mean, Clemson's Clemson beat Notre Dame's defense 14 to 7. It's kind of how I like to joke about it. But they tied the Notre Dame defense and special teams 14 to 14. Right. <laughs> If you can have something like that against USC where you're creating points with your special teams and defense, it only helps. But but that's not something you can't game plan for that. Notre Dame, see here, four, five, six, seven. Through the first seven games of the year, Notre Dame forced three turnovers. In the last four games, they've created ten, mm-hmm. including five against Boston College, two against Syracuse, two against Clemson. And those turnovers they forced in those two games were huge because in both of those games, they had turnovers that resulted in touchdowns. You had the pick six against Syracuse and the pick six against uh, Clemson. Mm-hmm. USC, however, does not turn the ball over. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, I, I mean, you see it right there. They're the best team in the country at at not turning the ball over, and it's going to be hard to do. But that's where I, that's where I give him the edge. Uh, yep. And it's his arm talent because there's throws that you're like, mm, I'm not sure if he should be making that throw. And you're like, oh, completion. Right. You know, because he's just got tremendous arm talent. I mean, that's really the thing. Like, why why is he trying to fit the ball into oh okay, completion? Great. Because <laughs> he trusts his receivers, right? Yes. And he's gonna give them chances and he's got talented receivers, but the kid's just got tremendous tools, Ryan. He's a very, very talented player. He he is a very frustrating football player for a defensive player because mm-hmm. you're like, We had perfect coverage on that play, didn't have a ton of time to throw, but he's still uncorks one and hits a window that just should not be a window that anyone else could hit. Like it's mm-hmm. just, it's, and it, that's the one we, that's the one uh, thing I really dislike about PFF, Brian. I don't know if you've ever seen their uh, turnover worthy plays or right. whatever they say. And I'm just like, that's, that's very subjective, right? A turnover worthy mm-hmm. play for one player may not be a turnover worthy play for another player. And Caleb Williams is kind of that guy, man, where you're just like, despite the fact that he does have a lot of gunslinger qualities, right? He's going to let it rip. He's going to take some chances. Still pretty, still pretty safe with the football, man. Like he doesn't put it in unnecessary spots too often. When he does, mm-hmm. it's a play that he knows he can make. I mean, right. it, you know, there's just like the the throw I was talking about last week against UCLA. That was a bad decision, right? That's not a throw that even if he 
saw it earlier, like that's going to be completed. It was just a bad decision. There's going right. to, and th- that stuff though does not happen very often. He doesn't right. do that type of stuff. So it, when it does happen, the one or two times it happens a game, you have to capitalize, right? You have to make those plays. I think that's a big thing. But more than anything, just got to make this game one dimensional and make him uncomfortable. You have to. Defensive line, I think, is going to be important. And the secondary playing a just good, across-the-board, solid football game is going to be crucial in this one. Because Caleb Williams is one of those athletes that, even when things aren't perfect, even when he's scattered a little bit and he has to rush his process or get out of the pocket, he can still make a ton of plays. So I think rush lanes are going to be a big thing in this football game. Caleb Williams could tear you apart from in the pocket, but I would rather keep see him in the pocket and see what he can do right. outside of structure, right? right? Like I would rather just deal with that headache. So I think rush lanes and the secondary playing a good solid football game, I think those are the yeah. two keys for me in this football game. Yeah, Ryan, it, it, we're, we'll, we'll talk about that those later tonight. We'll get into keys later tonight uh, specifically, but yeah, the, that how you handle him in the pocket is going to be a big part of that game. So. That is the matchup of Notre Dame against USC, the statistical matchup of Notre Dame and USC. Tonight, when we meet together at 8 o'clock Eastern, we'll kind of dive more into the uh, sort of schematic stuff, the philosophical stuff, you know, what makes USC dangerous and what Notre Dame has to do to defend it, and then offensively how Notre Dame can exploit the USC defense. So we'll dive more into that as well. We're going to have a mailbag coming up here very, very soon, here in about two minutes, uh, maybe less. But before we do, I want to give you time to hit that like button. Hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast, sign up for the boards at irishbreakdown.com or boards.irishbreakdown.com. Check out our main website at irishbreakdown.com. Check out our merch store, right? Got all that good stuff on there. Bill Bar, use Irish Breakdown promo code, all that good stuff. And of course, if you're listening via podcast, we would appreciate a five star review for the Irish Breakdown podcast. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.